Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from the Recount and ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest sports stories and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson. He's the Georgia Bulldog known as Will Leach. I am one of the many, one of the Legion. <laughs> well, we have a very full slate of stuff today, starting with our top stories of the week. First, voting just began to determine the next Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class, which will be announced on January 26th. This is the last time four controversial superstars, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, and Kurt Schilling. Was that blood on his sock? Was it really blood? Ask the taxpayers of the state of Rhode Island and they will have an answer for you. <laughs> this is the last time they can all be elected and none are expected to receive enough support to make it into the hall. Will not voting for these incredibly accomplished candidates look more and more ridiculous as the years go on? A lot goes on. That makes it look more and more ridiculous. Then we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics backup center and activist, Enid's <laughs> Cancer Freedom, who's gained a lot of attention recently for repeatedly criticizing the NBA, Nike, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and now Jeremy Lin for their <laughs> business ties, I guess, to China. And it's a party record on human rights. But Freedom, the person, has taken plenty of shots himself for what some say is a self-serving agenda. Is freedom an effective human rights activist or just a guy looking to elevate his own brand? It is certainly a wonderful George Michael song. We can all agree on that. Freedom! I won't let you down. Freedom! Things don't give... Okay, we're going to have to pay rights for that if we keep going. And we're going to focus on abusive sports culture. You know, it used to be that successful coaches who were brutal on their players were revered for being tough. Bobby Knight! But the recent firing of Portland Trailblazers general manager Neil Olshey for creating a toxic workplace environment continues the trend of dismissing coaches and executives in college and pro sports for bullying behavior. We'll debate a pretty key question for my weak-minded soul. <laughs> Is there still room for an asshole in big league sports? Ah, oh, man, who doesn't love a good asshole? That didn't come out right. What? No, that came out <laughs> fine. <laughs> We've also got a great This Week in Sports History segment where we analyze a notable event from the past through the lens of 2021. Today, we're zeroing in on former superstar outfielder Dale Strawberry. On December 8th, 1994, Strawberry was indicted for tax evasion, continuing a descent from a pinnacle of baseball that was fueled in large part by his chronic substance abuse problems. We'll dig into how his personal setbacks would be covered today, which back then was largely negative. Would Dale Strawberry be more of a sympathetic figure in 2021? And then we'll finish off the show with our games of the week and a new segment, Will and LZ's Blunders of the Week. But first, my friend, my Georgia Bulldog, you, what's your sports mood right now? It's dark here in Athens. I feel like all my friends from back in New York are all wearing Athens strong pins after that, that game. They feel like they've gone through something truly horrible. Yeah, you know, it's a very Georgia fan thing. I was at the SEC championship game where Georgia got stomped pretty definitively by Alabama. Listen, their hopes are still alive. They can still win a national championship. If you need to convince someone of that, please convince every single Georgia Bulldog fan that I know. Convinced that this is entirely over and the whole season is a disaster. This is kind of the Georgia football fan thing, right? When you're winning, you are indestructible and no one can touch you. And when you lose, everything is a disaster. What do you do to yourself? Fire Kirby, shoot Stetson Bennett into the sun. Like all of like the horrible things that they're completely lost their mind about. To walk out of that stadium on Saturday night. I remember it's been 1980 since they won a national championship. That's a long, long time for a team of that caliber. For a program like Georgia that is obsessed with college football, that has a great recruiting base and has, it spends the money, this really felt like the year they finally get over Alabama. They have not beaten Alabama since 2007. They keep losing them in the most brutal possible ways. I would argue this was less painful. That's three times I've seen Georgia lose to Alabama in person, and it was so definitive and so quick and so distressing. 
I feel like a little bit uh, like a Diane Fossey among the Georgia people. I just kind of observe and take notes and occasionally watch them pick gnats out of each other's hair. It was as down as I've seen. They are now convinced Michigan is going to beat them by 80. <laughs> they they went from like, we will spend a million dollars for tickets to that's going to be 80% Michigan fans in Miami pretty quickly. While I was aware of the differences between Alabama and basically all of college sports, Seeing a team that was undefeated and ranked number one be totally outclassed from coaching to talent to depth, that was kind of shocking. Yeah, I had to resist the temptation to consider Georgia to be frauds because compared to Alabama, it's very easy to be looked at as a fraud. And my sports mood is the total opposite of yours. Mm. I'm, I'm elated. You, oh, good <laughs> for you. I, I am elated. Because Michigan, the football team that I rooted for growing up and basically still root for for the last 40 years or whatever, finally got back to the big dance or at least an invitation to the big dance. It's embarrassing that a program of Michigan stature has not even played in a college football playoff yet. And so to even be at this level, following the defeat of Ohio State so soundly, I'm having a great college football season so far, Will. And I have no plans whatsoever to fire our head coach (laughs) who is donating his bonuses to the staff in the athletic department who had their checks cut because of the pandemic and the fallout from the pandemic. So not only is he turning out to be a good guy, but also a good coach with a good program. And we have a quarterback that's over 4'11". So the fact that our quarterback is taller than your quarterback, I also feel even better about the opportunities for us to face each other. And who knows? We face Alabama and, you know, we'll see what we can see. I'm not going to ask the producers, the great producers of this show, to call back to what you said about Jim Harbaugh two weeks ago before the Ohio oh. State game on this very podcast of he's never get over the hump. Him and his stupid khakis. Get him out of here. Everyone from fans to boosters to reporters are just going to be like, okay, this experiment is over. Get him out. Let's get a different coach in. This cannot continue to be the Lucy and Charlie Brown show. Sorry. That information is in the past. Why are you bringing up old shit? <laughs> yeah. Two weeks ago, one fortnight ago was when that was. But yeah, it is kind of remarkable that Georgia has felt like this impenetrable fortress all year and their fans have been so cocky and Michigan has been down so much on Harbaugh for so many years now. Yes. And now it just, like, Georgia fans are like, please just not in the face. One weekend. Okay, don't, don't, don't embarrass us. <laughs> and again, Georgia is favored in this game. I think Georgia is more talented. You will have a hard time convincing me <laughs> that Georgia, after that game last weekend, everyone is just slumped shoulders. It's very Charlie Brown, very arrested development, sad Charlie Brown walk uh, right now in Georgia. All right, LZ, let's get into our first big story. I've been accused of something I'm not guilty of. How do you prove a negative? No matter what we discuss here today, I'm never going to have my name restored. But I've got to try and set the record straight. Let me be clear. I've never taken steroids or HGH. Thank you. That was former Major League Baseball superstar Roger Clemens testifying before Congress way back in 2008 denying that he ever used performance-enhancing drugs. The problem for Clemens is no one believes him. There have been so many allegations <laughs> of him taking PEDs during his playing career. In fact, 2010, he was indicted on charges of lying to Congress for some of that very testimony, though he was eventually acquitted on all accounts. Why does this still matter? Well, voting, which is done by members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. To be clear, I am a baseball writer and I'm in America, but I am not a member of this association, so I am not voting on the Hall of Fame. They just began to determine baseball's next Hall of Fame class, which will be announced on January 26th. And this is the last time Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Sammy Sosa, three giants of the game who are all linked to PEDs, and Kurt Schilling, who's been known for his controversial, we'll say, political beliefs, it's the last time any of them can be elected. And none of them are expected to receive enough support to make it into the Hall. Now, while this is the last year on the ballot for Schilling, Sosa, Bonds, and Clemens, they will have another chance. After a certain number of years, the Veterans Committee will be able to have the option of voting them in. The problem for that, though, is generally speaking, retired players who make up the Veterans Committee, they actually tend to be more anti-PED than even media is. So while they may get a second chance, that chance might not necessarily be better than the one that they currently have. Mm -hmm. Elsie, there is a lot, obviously, to unpack here. Starting with my first question to you. 
Do you think that not voting for any of these, not just incredibly accomplished candidates, but some of the best baseball players any of us have ever seen, do you think that will look more and more ridiculous as time goes on? I do, because the role of journalism in general and sports journalism specifically has taken a significant hit when it comes to integrity, a significant hit. The way that we were perceived as an industry when this story first broke 20 some years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. We're just in a different place. And it's not just all about Trumpism, though Trumpism has had a lot to do with it. We've also had some self-inflicted wounds. We just saw Chris Cuomo be dismissed from CNN for some improprieties, right? Mm -hmm. We know about Adam Schefter's improprieties. There's a long list. So people look at our industry a lot differently than they did yesteryear. They look at us a lot differently than we did yesteryear. And in the past, where we certainly had figures whose word was bond, and this is it, and this was unrefuted, we now have charlatans. We have an industry that looks to do hot takes over facts. And so the idea that the people who say stupid shit now or sometimes will manipulate facts to support their own agendas are now telling us who should or should not be in the Hall of Fame, it's starting to ring a little bit more hollow. Like, who the fuck are you to talk about Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens and what they meant to the game when you're an industry that's manipulated information or withheld information to support your own agendas. We're different now. And because the voters are looked at differently now, the outcome of our votes are being looked at differently. And I think in a few more years, Yes, we are going to look like the assholes who were sanctimonious and kept out these incredible players for cheating, while also being the industry that had a lot of cheating going on within itself as well. The Baseball Hall of Fame is one of the Hall of Fames that I don't think it matters more than the other Hall of Fames, but it certainly inspires more passion than the other Hall of Fames. Chris Bosh is going to get in the Hall of Fame someday. Yes. Carmelo Anthony is going to get in the Hall of Fame someday. And maybe that's debatable and maybe it isn't, but they're going to be in. It's not going to be a big deal and it's fine. Rodman got in. Nobody really cared. No one said this was bad for the integrity of the NBA or any of those things at all. They just said, okay, cool. Welcome. Right. It's a museum. Have a good time. People lose their minds about baseball. It's hard for me to look at the Baseball Hall of Fame, which, you know, is for the best players In theory. and see, wait, Barry Bonds, the best hitter I've ever seen. Like Barry Bonds solved baseball. He figured it out. Do I think he got stronger because uh, he was using cow tranquilizers or whatever the hell he was using? <laughs> yeah, I think so. The conviction was overturned, by the way. Yes, it was that, overturned. Yes, that cow was innocent. But I've never seen a baseball player better than that. I'm not sure. I've seen a pitcher better for longer than Roger Clemens. Mm -hmm. The two best baseball players I have seen are not in the Hall of Fame because of right. an issue that, to be honest, I think in like 30 years, if not already, people are going to look back and think, it's, it's going to feel like a red scare sort of thing. It's going to feel like this, this mass paranoia. And listen, do I think they use performance enhancing drugs? Yes. Though it's funny, Sammy Sosa always gets roped into this. He's never tested positive. There's never been reports about him. Sure. But he looks like Pepto-Bismol. There have been so. some physical changes. But when you look at what Bonds and Clemens did, I don't know how you can tell the story of baseball over the last 40 years without those two guys in the freaking Hall of Fame. This is obviously not for the best baseball players because Barry Bonds, the best baseball player, is not in it. I used to write this back when I was doing Deadspin in my book, God Save the Fan. I wrote this whole chapter about what happens if you have a steroid or performance enhancer or whatever that has no side effects. That has zero side effects that doesn't hurt you. Because that was always the scare of steroids, right? Mm -hmm. It'll steroid rage or you'll have heart attacks. So we have all of these terrible things that will happen to you. Science generally figures out a way to make those things better. If Barry Bonds were in his prime today and taking PEDs, he would not take the cow tranquilizers or whatever the hell he was taking like that. <laughs> There's better drugs now. There's always better drugs. And so they're going to look back and think, well, you guys were so upset. Do you realize that every baseball player before the game pops this pill that has no side effects, has nothing but good? It makes them strong. And it's okay because that's what science does. Mm -hmm. It does feel like this panic that eventually as a culture, we're going to move on from. And unfortunately, they're going to get stuck out of the Hall of Fame when they should be in there forever for something that I think is going to ultimately be thought of as a temporary thing. I have a lot of thoughts to what you said. And I agree with so much 
in terms of the way that you illustrated what the dilemma is in this conversation, right? Which is our views on what a performance enhancing drug is and its attachment to health and blah, 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 blah. I keep going back, though, to the voters first, because the reason why the Hall of Fame is there is to honor the game's greats. And it's the media that determines who is worthy of being among the greats. Because it's the media, we're making it personal in a lot of ways. I believe if Barry Bonds was as beloved as Andy Pettit, things might be viewed differently. Or David Ortiz. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. So it's not solely just upon the fact that He's connected to steroid use or PED usage. It's also, you never gave me that interview I wanted. Or you were always an asshole to me. Or you thought you were better than us. And now this is my opportunity to get revenge. So there's that part of it. And then there's this sort of weird, arbitrary sort of standard that's in place that says things like, you don't get in the first time. You have to wait for the second Mm -hmm. time. Even though you're retired and you're not adding any numbers to any of the Right, right. We're going to make you wait. Sandy Koufax did not get 100% of the vote. There were reporters, people who had followed this man, watched what he's done, looked at the numbers at the end of his days and said, "Mm, not yet, because you have this power and you're willing to wield it. And then you have what I think is the biggest issue of them all, the third part of it, which is... Who's to determine when there was an advantage and when there wasn't an advantage? Because, yes, performance-enhancing drugs can give you an advantage. But why wasn't segregation an advantage? Why wasn't keeping black players and Latino players out of this sport an advantage for the white players who are in the Hall of Fame? When do you get to decide who has an advantage and who doesn't? And what exactly... It's the construction of the decision-making process that you're adhering to. So I have a lot of problems when it comes to this Hall of Fame discussion. And I don't think there's a clean answer to any of them, which is why I tend to lean toward, okay, let these motherfuckers in because they didn't just break records and they didn't just win championships and Bonds won seven National League MVPs Mm -hmm. and, you know, just crazy bonker numbers. They also were the reasons why we watched the game to begin with. And to your point, how in the fuck do you try to tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds, without Roger Clemens? I mean, I could tell it without Kurt Schilling. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I, I can make it without Kurt Schilling. <laughs> we can talk about Schilling. I, I have thoughts on him too. I can almost tell it without Sammy Sosa, though the baseball home run war with Mark McGuire was important to help us get over the strike. But you absolutely cannot tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. And that, to me, is just ridiculous. It's really arbitrary because the thing they, they do, say the character clause. Voters are supposed to consider the character clause. The character clause was actually put in there for the opposite reason. It was, a hey, if someone player isn't quite good enough, but they were really good for the game, then you should consider their character. But of course, if you put any rule, then people will just twist it to the way that that, that, whatever they want to vote, which is why the character clause has become a, well, that's bad for the kids. Don't tell the kids to use steroids or or so on and whatnot. The only issue with this is... The current members of the hall, the ones that will be voting on the Veterans Committee after mm-hmm. Bonds and Clemens don't make it this year, they're actually more anti-PDs and anti-these guys than the voters are. If you talk to Hall of Famers, they're like, get them out of here. Those guys are cheaters. They don't, they, 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 back in my day, we didn't cheat. I would yeah, argue- Of course. I would argue that- Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because it wasn't available to you. Trust me, you totally would have. Had you you just there. love coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's all. Yeah, and, they, yeah, and it's all Ovaltine. You knew that, right? They all were just drinking Ovaltine uh, all the time, and that's what did it for them. To me, the thing that's really frustrating is that someday in 30 years- my son is going to be 40 years old. That's a terrifying thought. And he's going to go to the Hall of Fame and be like, what a stupid place this is. <laughs> like, what a dumbass <laughs> place this is. That Barry, like, imagine going to the Hall of Fame and Babe Ruth not being in there. It's absolutely absurd to have a yeah. building to honor the best players in baseball history and to not have the best baseball players in history. It's stupid. It's just, it doesn't even make sense for the building to exist. I mean, 
you can create another bracket. Like in my head, I have a different bracket for the players who played in the segregated era. I do. And baseball is trying to come to Jesus on this conversation, which is why it's starting to incorporate now the Mm -hmm. statistics that were compiled during the Negro League time. So it's not like what I'm suggesting is completely out of the box. If we're sitting here and we're going, all right, well, let's see. Otani is the best player in baseball. But when Babe Ruth played, Otani would not have been allowed. That's what we're talking about. That helps Babe Ruth. In a way, the PEDs, not everyone was using PEDs, but not just these guys were using PEDs. Right. That's that's what the the notion, like, well, the offense was so huge at the time. Well, pitchers were also using PEDs. Everyone everyone was using PEDs. Yes, they were. That's a clear difference that I think argues for these guys and against Babe Ruth is the idea that I know Babe Ruth had the advantage. Not having to face Shohei Otani, not having, of course. not having to face Bob Gibson. I don't know that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens had an advantage. Do you want to talk about Schilling? Can we talk about Schilling real fast? Here's- All right. Asshole. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, what about yeah, you? I know. I know. Here's what I'd like to kind of note a little bit about how the sports culture has changed over the last five years. This is his 10th year on the ballot. In 2016, I wrote a piece for Bloomberg Politics where I talked to Ryan Thibodeau. He watches Hall of Fame ballots. He's always done this for years. And he looks for trends. And he had noticed that Schilling went continuously up in a way that pitchers generally do, in a way similar to Mike Mussina, who he's somewhat similar to as a pitcher. And Mussina eventually broke through and Schilling stopped. And I asked him, why do you think that is? And he's like, it's hard to argue that his politics does not have something to do with this. I wrote that piece and the big takeaway was, Okay, listen, we don't like Kurt Schilling, but we can't leave him out of the Hall of Fame because he's politics. That's crazy. That's silly. Now, when you ask people, are they voting for Kurt Schilling for not, people are explicit in saying, <laughs> nope, I am not voting for that guy because of his politics. And, and I think that is an undeniable change over the last five years. It, it's not just his politics, though. He's a bona fide asshole. No question. But he was five years ago. <laughs> it's not just, I don't think that same-sex marriages is right. That's a political statement. Right, right. He would be insulting. And he right. insulted people who are trans. And he is mean-spirited. And what he does to the Hall of Fame isn't just bringing a different wrinkle, in my opinion, in terms of politics, but in terms of what we expect out of athletes who are role models. You want that guy as a role model? Yeah. Come on. And certainly getting people to vote for you, not a good way to do it is to wear t-shirts saying they should be hanged. <laughs> Just as a general rule, that's Just not a good way. It's not, not a good way to do it. Listen, he's maybe had more opportunities to show off his assholedom over the last five years. But, <laughs> Yay, social media. <laughs> yeah, good for us. <laughs> but generally speaking, it is still worth noting that you couldn't get anyone five years ago to say they weren't voting for Kurt Schilling right. because he's such an asshole. And now... If I went on social media tomorrow and said, I'm voting for Kurt Schilling, I know he's an asshole, but I think he was great as a baseball player. I think that would be seen as a unpopular opinion and I think would get me yelled at all day. I think this is progress. I Probably it's progress. I've heard people say, I don't want to see him up there on that dais giving a speech. Like just that simple. Like, and I think yeah. that's fair. And I think that's reasonable. That's the irony of this. I think he has more of a chance to being put in by the Veterans Committee than the PED guys do, because frankly, I think more of them agree with him than they do agree with taking PEDs, which is also kind of scary. But hey, that's baseball. All right, Will, let's move on to our next big topic, which is about one of my least favorite guys in sports right now. People should feel really blessed and lucky to be in this, be in, be in America, because, you know, they love the criticize it but when you live a country like turkey or or, you know china or somewhere else you will appreciate the freedoms you have here yes you know so i feel like they should just please they they, they should just keep their mouth shut and stop criticizing the greatest uh, nation in the world that was boston celtics backup center and activist enos cancer freedom being interviewed last week on fox news's tucker carlson tonight where he made a number of statements like that one that have since become talking points for the far right. Freedom, born in Switzerland and grew up in Turkey, has gained a lot of attention the past few months for repeatedly criticizing both the NBA and Nike for the business ties to China and for calling out Nike's top reps, LeBron James and Michael Jordan, for ignoring China's appalling record on human rights. But Freedom has taken plenty of shots himself. 
He has not made an effort to meet personally with LeBron or Jordan to educate them on the abuses of the Chinese government. He still wears Nike gear, and he even neglected to criticize the human rights abuses of the right-wing government of Turkey when he appeared on Carlson's show. So, Will, let's unravel all of this, shall we? Mm. Starting with this question. Is Freedom an effective human rights activist or just some schmuck who wants to elevate his brand? I certainly think if I'm Enos Cantor Freedom, and I'm going to keep calling him Cantor Freedom. I don't know if it's Freedom or if it's Cantor Freedom, but I'm just going to say Cantor Freedom. This will allow me to keep him separate from the concept of, of uh, freedom. liberty. Yes, yes, exactly. The question is, is he enjoying his sudden new fans in Tucker Carlson and Ted Cruz? And I think he is. That's, I think, what's most worrisome about this. Listen, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. There are causes that he has spoken for that I think would even be classified as noble. He has spoke out against Erdogan. He was afraid to go to London with the Knicks because he was worried about threats against him there. We've discussed the NBA in China before about how, generally speaking, on one hand, you can have a point about the NBA's business ties with China. On the other hand, uh, I think the reason that people like Tucker Carlson and Ted Cruz are using that to rip on LeBron and everyone is not because they really care about their views about China. It's because it's a way to minimize their voices on other issues where they would like to have their voices minimized. The issue now for Cantor Freedom is... I mean, listen to that Tucker Carlson thing, man. Like, he's already lost the plot, man. We like, we just got started with this. Are you talking about China or are you talking about players and, should shut up and appreciate the country they're in? And that like, was before the Jeremy Lin tweet. Yeah. Paulo Alto's own Jeremy <laughs> Lin, right? And so I think what's disturbing about this, there have been people who off court wise, myself included, who have thought, Cantor, before he was Cantor Freedom, was a somewhat valuable voice to have on certain things. He clearly loves that voice a lot now, is seeing at the end of his career. He's talking about the American dream. He's dating a Rockefeller, for crying out loud. His life is turning in a new direction here, and it feels like something we should have seen happening in sports for a while. With all the athlete activism, to see someone say, you know what, I'm the athlete activist who's a reactionary. I am the athlete activist that says those activists are bad. I'm with Tucker and I'm with these guys. And to see him do this, this what is really looks like a branding exercise. And the fact that it's working, I have had friends of mine that only pay a little bit of attention to sports to be like, so this is cancer guy. He's kind of an interesting guy. He fought against China. To hear him be giving seriousness in that regard, that in turn elevates him as a basketball player who, as we've mentioned, is a backup player for the Celtics and probably not for much longer. It's frustrating for him to like say, I tried to talk to LeBron. Yeah, I'm sure LeBron's sweating you, pal. I'm sure LeBron needs to be educated by you. It's frustrating to watch, but it feels like he's finding a place in the market and I'm a little worried he's going to be rewarded for it. Uh, he's already been rewarded for it. I don't think there's any question about that. It's just who's doing the rewarding yeah. and what happens next. Just to pull the curtain a little bit for our listeners, I did not want to do this topic because I did not want to give him what he wanted, which was more attention. Yeah. But after the tweet against Jeremy Land, I have a new found vigor to want to talk about this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> because... Play, explain the tweet for people that might have right, not seen it. So essentially it's trying to quote unquote call out Jeremy Lin for not speaking out against China. And it's with a certain tone that makes it seem as if he's actually from China. He said he sold out his people. <laughs> he said he sold out where he came from. <laughs> I mean, and, geez. and, you know, as you pointed out, he's born and raised in California. Yeah. Now, Jeremy Lin has come out and said things that these are like my people. This feels like home, blah, 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 blah. So it's not completely out of left field. However, I would argue that the way that that tweet was worded wasn't based upon Jeremy Lin having an affinity for that part of the world, but that Enos Cantor phrased this that made it sound as if he was originally from that part of the world and that he came to America and turned his back on his people, which I found to be pretty racist. It's couched in the exact same tone of the people that all of a sudden love him, right? That's what's it, it disturbing is. about seeing this, is seeing him like, oh, that's a Ted Cruz tweet. That's exactly yes. what that is. And to see yes. him go that direction is really disturbing. Yes. And to call yourself freedom while being racist is very American. <laughs> I will say that. There's not a long list of people who have done and continue to do exactly what he's doing. 
but it's positioning himself as a freedom fighter as he's being a racist asshole to black people, Asian Americans, and Lord knows who else is on his docket. It just really, really needs to be called out and not just by sports journalists and people in the media. It really needs to be called out by the NBA, in my opinion. It truly does, because what he is doing is undermining the work that the NBA proclaims is part of its reasons for being. The way that he talked about athletes shutting up, basically, and dribbling yeah. is the 180 of what Commissioner Silver feels that the NBA in general and athletes specifically should be doing with this platform. Including cancer. And I'm not saying including that, cancer five years ago. <laughs> including cancer five years ago. Exactly. And I'm not saying that the NBA needs to start policing language. That is not what I'm saying. But if an athlete says a racist slur, if an athlete says a homophobic slur, the NBA has things in place to challenge that and correct that and need be it challenged the player because it's an antithesis of what the NBA says is about. Having this dude go on Fox News and basically say, shut up, is the antithesis of what the NBA says it is about. And I get it. It's a very, very difficult position that this league is in because it doesn't want to wade back into political waters that some feel has gotten itself in trouble and has caused it to lose viewership and fans. I get it. You kind of want to stay away from that. But Enos Cantor is dragging you in this whether you want to admit it or not. Because he's taking shots at the past face of the NBA, the current face of the NBA, the business practices of the NBA. (laughs) And, oh, by the way, don't forget the NBA has also helped establish a league in Africa. And, oh, by the way, who's the biggest infrastructure investor in Africa? China. (laughs) So it's not just fucking with the business state side and fucking with the business in China. It's actually fucking with the business in Africa, too. All for one purpose, to lift up his own profile. Because if it's really about that life, as we pointed to earlier, let's start with, I don't know, not wearing Nike. (laughs) But you're not giving back any of the Nike money from your checks, as far as it's been reported. That hasn't happened. You're not covering any shoes. You're not covering any logos. You're trying to have it both ways because you're enjoying the fame that you thought being the number three overall pick was going to give you but you didn't want to play defense and rebound effectively. So here we are. Right. I mean, he, he, he's a troll in its purest form. That's really what he is. If you don't know basketball very well and you hear Enos Cantor freedom call out LeBron, you're like, wow, NBA superstars battling out in the court of public opinion. But if you know anything about the NBA, mm-hmm. it's been like, I think LeBron's exact quote was, I'm not going to comment on someone who is trying to use me to elevate for their own advantage. And that's exactly what he's doing. But again, that's what trolls do. And clearly, there's a market for this. That was the tell on Tucker Carlson's show. It'd be different if he went on and said, listen, I am focusing solely on the NBA's issue with China. LeBron is a great player, and I feel like he should speak his mind. I may disagree with him, but he should speak his mind because that's what I'm doing, and that's what we're all doing in this. That is not what he did on Tucker Carlson's show. He specifically went on and said, Exactly what Tucker Carlson would want him to say and exactly what would make sure that he would promote him and elevate him in the future. It's not about China. He's not talking about China there. He's talking about these athletes need to realize how good they've got it. You don't see me complaining about how great America is. I'm the athlete that does that. They're unappreciative. Don't listen to them, which is gold for Tucker Carlson. That's exactly what he wants them to say. And so for me, that's what's so frustrating about this. He's a Muslim. What China is doing to Muslims is a serious, serious problem. That's an okay thing to talk about, but that's not what he's talking about. And it's so nefarious and it's disingenuous. I know you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And maybe four or five years ago, he earned that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, not anymore. I mean, you go on Fox News now to bash black athletes. Let's just be what it is. Mm -hmm. You're bashing black athletes. But Fox News didn't want to fuck with you when you were bashing the Turkish president because that's President Trump's boy. And he's said that repeatedly, that he really appreciates his leadership style. It's a great honor to be with President Erdogan. The president and I have been, we've been very good friends. We've been friends for a long time, almost from day one. I'm a, a big fan of the president. You're doing a fantastic job for the people of Turkey. 
And I don't recall Tucker Carlson reaching out to you then saying, what are your thoughts on this? But when there's an opportunity to undermine what these black athletes are trying to do to help benefit their communities, that's when I'm just sort of like, yo, you had the benefit of the doubt when Turkey was canceling your passport and threats against your family and and you were speaking out in, in, in the name of freedom. Got that. But you're on Fox News and you don't bring it up. But you want to go after LeBron James? You want to go after Jordan? You want to go after the NBA while being a part of the NBA and, and, and taking advantage of all the things of their relationship that China has to offer while pretending like you can't stand China? That's literally hypocrisy in this most basic form. And I just don't have a lot of space, you know, in my bandwidth for hypocrites of that sort of nature. So Enos Cantor, freedom, hypocrite, carry on. Good luck with your mission. But, um... We see right through you, dude. Okay, Will, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about abusive sports culture. And no, I don't mean the Georgia Bulldogs versus Alabama. Woof. Is there still a place for nasty people in major sports? We'll break it down next. The Long Game with Ellie and Leach. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. All right, LZ, we're back. Olshea is out. The Blazers' general manager was fired Friday, and the team quickly released a statement when the news broke, writing in part, the Portland Trail Blazers organization has decided to terminate general manager and president of basketball operations Neil Olshea, effective immediately due to violations of the Portland Trail Blazers' code of conduct. That was a report by Portland's local NBC affiliate KGW about the firing last week of Portland Trail Blazers' top executive Neil Olshey for creating a hostile and bullying workplace environment. It used to be that successful coaches who were downright brutal to their players, like Alabama's Bear Bryant, North Carolina's Dean Smith, or Green Bay Packers' Vince Lombardi, were revered for being so tough. But the recent firing of Olshey continues the trend of suspending or even dismissing coaches and executives in college and pro sports for bullying behavior. Besides the NBA, we've seen it recently in the NFL, in both women's and men's college basketball and college football, and even in the United States Women's Pro Soccer League. So, LZ, what do you think? Here's the biggest question of our sports time. Hey, where'd all the assholes go? Well, my friend, money changes things, you know? Money changes things. Okay. You mentioned these fantastic coaches, the Dean Smiths, the the Bear Bryant, oh, Bear the, the Vince Lombardis. Well, they're all doing their little shenanigans, if you will, when athletes weren't empowered. They possessed all the power. They probably made as much, if not more money than the athletes comfortably. They were in charge of their future. When you think about the way that media covered them, the focus was on the coaches, not the athletes themselves. They were the ones who were quoted. They were the ones who were the face of the organizations or universities, not the players. And then things changed. (laughs) (laughs) The power shifted. And the people who were actually being required to hit that small ball coming at them at 100 miles an hour, they were the ones who actually had the power in their hands. And you know what they decided, Will? They didn't have to take this bullshit from you. (laughs) That's what they decided. And I think that change has been a slow train coming that has been accelerated 
because of the, the quarantine, the lockdown, and the heart of the pandemic. It's not hard to see the connection between players speaking up for themselves in terms of mental health care and COVID-19. And even though people tried to cancel Simone Biles and they tried to cancel Naomi Osaka and they certainly have tried to cancel Kevin Love and a whole host of other athletes who are now talking about mental health in a very, very provocative way for us. They have the power. They aren't going anywhere. And so it's up to the leaders, the coaches, the administrations. It's up to them to adjust because the players, God bless them, Will. (laughs) They're like, no, I don't have to listen to you. No, you don't get to choke me out because I missed a play. <laughs> like That's stupid. And we're going to get you removed from this as opposed to you chastising me in this way. Yeah, this was such a big thing in college sports for so long. You still see a little bit of it. You Like the old guys like Tom Izzo, every once in a while will have a game where he just loses his mind on a player and there'll be a big discussion about it and a big debate about it. But in college sports, I feel like it was a huge, huge deal in a lot of ways because I think the perception of college sports was there were just these wild athletes that had no discipline and, and probably wouldn't even be at college anyway if they weren't even right. good athletes. So therefore, these coaches have to break them down to build them back up, work them as if they are clay and destroy them, burn down the village so you can save it. And Bob Knight, to me, was the epitome of that, right? For all Bob Knight's hatred of media and how much he would always go after those guys. They loved him. They loved him because he perpetuated that worldview of coaches have to be assholes. Coaches have to ruin guys. And then uh, that's how you become great. I'm sick and fucking tired of an eight and 10 record. I'm fucking tired of losing to Purdue. I'm not here to fuck around this week. I had to sit around for a fucking year with an eight and 10 record in this fucking lake. And I mean, you will not put me in that fucking position again. Or you will goddamn pay for it like you can't fucking believe. Now you better get your head out of your ass. Now, I feel like it has disappeared from the popular culture so rapidly that I think we're still trying to catch up a little bit. On one hand, I do feel like if someone's able to do these sports, the mental fortitude that you have to have to be able to hit a hundred mile an hour fastball or to be able to sink two free throws with 20,000 fans screaming at you. You're not going to do that and be like, well, coach yelled at me a little bit, so I should do this a little harder. I I, to be able to do that (laughs) requires mental strength. That is frankly more than I have. On the other hand, sports is not the only part of culture that has embraced the idea that the iron is always stronger when it has come through the fire, right? The hardest diamond is the one that was in the earth the longest. I don't know. I think I'm just making up metaphors right now. I'm like, something about this makes sense. I just want to, I want to be there with you. I saw like a Marines commercial about this in like the uh, 80s or yeah. something. But the point is, is that slow-mo? This forges the strongest steel, maybe. I think of the movie Whiplash, for example. Like that's a movie right. with J.K. Simmons in which really, I think, kind of interrogates that idea and doesn't actually come down clearly on one side or the other. Now, are you a rusher or are you a dragger or are you going to be on my fucking time? I'm going to be on your time. You could argue that his drumming does get better because he's challenged and broken down. I think for a long time in sports and in the military, in education, the idea of the best way to get the best out of someone is to make it hard on them and to be tough on them and to push them past what they naturally think are their limits to find new places they can go was a large part, I think, of how a lot of organizations were structured. And I thought that sports would be one of the last places to let go of that. I think sports has come across pretty quickly on this for the reasons that you talk about, for the idea of player empowerment. But like with so many other changes that we've seen in American culture over the last 15 years, it's created a backlash, right? Every time someone takes a few days off and misses a couple games to see the birth of their child, they're seen somehow <laughs> as weak, right? Like Bear Bryant would have never stood for that. Listen, if you talk to a lot of older players, they will say, I'm a better person because Bob Knight yelled at me. Not all of them, to any stretch of the imagination. Well, I, I mean, and I, I'm curious if there's, if there's any ground there in the middle at all. 
Well, I think that's pretty consistent when you talk to children whose parents spanked them or beat them growing up. These kids today aren't getting spanked, and that's why they're so undisciplined. Exactly. (laughs) And it's like, when I grew up, blah, 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 blah. And because of that, that's why I am how I am. When there really is no empirical evidence whatsoever to support what you just said. There's been research done on the benefits of spanking. And there is nothing clear cut based upon the science to suggest that if you beat the shit out of your kid, it will be better people. Like, that's just what we've been handed down from generation after generation. Some cultures more so than others, but we all have elements of an abusive sort of nature to parenting that we think makes it effective because otherwise our kids will grow up to be wild animals and we won't have any control over them. And to your point, there is some sort of middle ground, but what we have a hard time identifying is where is that middle ground in sports because of money and the expectations that come with money. That's the difference when it comes to sports, particularly professional sports. Yeah, we're better. We're more evolved. We know that you don't have to punch athletes in the face to get them to hit free throws. <laughs> but they are making $10 million, so. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you make it $10 million, you just got to take a shot to the face every once in a while right. from your middle-aged coach. <laughs> exactly. And it's like going, none, none of this makes sense. And yet that's the culture that has embraced all of these elements that sort of justify whatever behavior we're watching on the court. You go back to the malice of the palace. And it would probably never occur to any human being to throw a full container of a beverage at Ron Artest in a bar or in a restaurant or church or the grocery store because you would be fearful of what? Retaliation. But why in the hell did you think it was okay to throw it at him at a sporting event? Because our expectations of athletes are just different or they were different. And so we don't have room for unruly fans anymore. And we don't have room for asshole executives or coaches anymore because people are realizing that, oh, there's nothing inherently different about the world of sports than any other aspect of our world other than our attitude about it based upon the money that they're making or the fact that they have scholarships, which is still money, just as the money going directly in their pockets. So it's like, dude, and do that because women can be assholes too. Congratulations, lady. You have full equality. <laughs> the simple fact of the matter that Hashtag they're on ally. the court. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the simple fact that they're athletes doesn't mean that they can just now take all the abuse from you or coaches because before they're athletes, they're still people. They're still human beings. And some of these human beings are dealing with shit that you can't see. And that doesn't make them weak. It just makes them human. That's all. I think it's telling, too, that you've seen some of the older coaches who are known for being hard asses. To evolve, they've changed. I don't think I've seen Bill Belichick or Nick Saban smile more in the last three or four years than Mm. I did in the last 20 years of their career before. They're both lighter. You see it, right? You see Belichick after that Patriots game where he ran it like 50 times. He was like downright affable after the game. He'd like gotten away with something. And Saban (laughs) is almost relaxed at games in a way where he used to lose his mind all the time. It does feel that the smart coaches have learned that players don't like to be talked like that anymore. And that is not the way to get the best performance out of them. Listen, maybe Nick Saban deep down at his core is a guy that wants to yell at guys, but he's also a coach that wants to win games. And the way that you win games and the way that you recruit and you have people want to come to you is not to do the old Bobby Knight thing. I think it's why you see guys like frankly, Coach Krzyzewski, Coach K being like, you know what? Maybe the game isn't for me anymore. <laughs> and I'm glad that they left. If, I, that, yeah. if that's what their conclusion, yeah. I'm glad that they're gone. I think you're if right. that's their conclusion. Yeah. This is not something that I think is ever going to turn around. It's, it's hard to see a situation where there's a revisionist idea like, nope, it turns out that you do have to make these guys feel like shit. <laughs> like it just it feels like power, players are not going to get less power and want this less. And just got to wait this storm out. Yeah, just, yeah this guy normal. start like getting, yeah, losing my mind again. We talk about a lot of stuff in this podcast and a lot of things. And sometimes we end in frankly kind of sad and depressing places. This feels like progress. This feels like something that's actually good that's happened in sports over the last 10, 15 years that. I don't think it'll get reversed.
Okay, well, it's time for this week in sports history, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2021. You know, my father was a raging alcoholic. You know, he beat me, said I never amount to nothing. I go on to be a major league baseball player and achieve all these great things. And but I was still empty inside. You know, there was no, no freedom and, you know, life was toxic. Money, money doesn't make you well. That was Daryl Strawberry, one of the most talented and charismatic stars in baseball in the 1980s, talking about his debilitating off-field problems. 27 years ago this week, on December 8th, 1994, Strawberry was indicted for tax evasion, continuing a pattern of troubling behavior, including domestic abuse and drug addiction, that kept this transcendent player from reaching his full potential. Strawberry was often criticized harshly by the media and fans during his playing career that was marked by three cocaine-related suspensions in five years. Elsie, I want to know how you think his personal setbacks would be covered today. Would Daryl Strawberry be considered a more sympathetic figure in 2021? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I would say that if Daryl Strawberry was a rookie today, he never gets to the place in which he finds himself being indicted for tax evasion later. So you think there were just more protections for him? There will be more protections for him and there will be more understanding yeah. that this isn't simply about making poor decisions, that clinically, medically, scientists proven data that drug addiction isn't something that you just can decide to stop. Like you have to be treated for the same way you have to treat like a broken arm. And I think that particularly at this time, the country's attitude towards drugs, especially in the 80s with the crack addiction and with the racism element that was woven into the crack addiction. Remember, the punishment for a possession of crack was significantly higher than the punishment for the possession of cocaine. And we know that powder cocaine was the preference of a certain class of people versus crack cocaine. Because of all of that, there was just this ideal of dismissing him as just a crackhead. Very, very callous approach to it. Now, for better or for worse, because of the opioid addiction that the nation is grappling with, and who is addicted to opioids, Yes, let's be real about it, mm -hmm. there is a different attitude about people in general who are struggling with substance abuse issues. And so Daryl Strawberry, being both a charismatic, good-looking athlete and being in New York, and suffering through something that we have a better understanding of, he absolutely would be a much more sympathetic figure and he would be covered totally different and he would not have had to deal with the legal aspects of his addiction in the same way that he did in the 90s. One of the things about Strawberry, too, is the way that he was ushered in and the way he was kind of covered when he first came in, there really was this idea that this kid would have had nothing. But he was given this incredible gift, and now he's blowing it. The subplot to all of that is, hey, there's this poor black kid that probably shouldn't be able to do anything, but now he can't even appreciate all the good things that he should be having. And I think mm -hmm. that was an undercurrent. He was a main voice in New York during this time. Yeah. And I, I think that a lot of people pushed this idea that, his addiction was a sign of not just immaturity, but a lack of appreciation for what he was given. Right. I think Dwight Gooden got this as well. And as exciting as those players were, and oh, they were so exciting. So exciting. I was a Cardinals fan and I hated them so much and I couldn't stop watching them. They were the best. It was incredible. I remember one time Dwight Gooden said the toughest batter for him to face was Jack Clark from the Cardinals. And I thought that was the best compliment anyone could have ever gotten, was the best pitcher in the world, said that was the guy he wanted to face. So that's, Gooden was unreal and Strawberry was incredible. Just the swing was perfect. Was perfect. Effortless. The way he was covered, too. I even remember the idea that, well, Ted Williams, he fought in World War II. That's what <laughs> he did with his talent. And look right. what Daryl Strawberry is doing with his talent. And you had Nancy Reagan talking about just say no oh, all the time yeah, and yeah. shit. And listen, you're so dead on. Why has the public shifted its views on drug addiction because a different kind of person is addicted to different kind of drugs now. Right. And it's affected their family in a way that maybe it hadn't before. And I think it was always an affliction, but now we treat it as such. And I wonder, looking through the prism of sports, wasn't that long ago, Josh Hamilton 
he benefited from these evolved mm-hmm. ideas. And I think partly it was because of his race as well. His addictions were a struggle that he had to overcome, a competitor that he vanquished rather than a mistake that he kept making. And I think right. that's just how these things have changed. And I think it's for the better. But as usual, these things change not always maybe for the best reasons. It also is worth noting that Strawberry had two rather high-profile, rather repulsive domestic violence issues. They were connected with the drug addiction, which I think he would certainly not separate them. I think he would consider them a part of the same sort of thing. But I do feel that while drug addiction is something that is given um, more leeway than it was during his time, domestic violence is given less I would argue for also good reasons, but the time where Bobby Cox could have an incident with his wife in the morning and manage a game that night after doing a press conference where she sits next to him and says, everything's okay, that's changed. (laughs) That's certainly changed as well. So I think that certainly the domestic violence part of it complicates the conversation and how it would be treated differently now. But I think it is considered mostly a part of the drug addiction and wrapped up in that fairly or unfairly. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our games of the week. What's your game of the week? My friend, my game of the week won't be broadcast by any major network, I don't think. Probably won't even make the homepage of, you know, any prominent sports website. But damn it, the Los Angeles Lakers have got to be OKC, and it starts on Friday, December 10th. Oh, my gosh. That's where we've fallen. This is how low we've gotten. They've got to beat OKC. To watch how the Lakers have broken you down throughout this season, it is like to watch you erode. And I don't like to see that to my friend and the guy that I admire, that we have reached the point where you're like, my game of the week is I really think the Lakers have a really good chance to beat Oklahoma City. Well, it's a tough one because the Lakers are on the road. Well, <laughs> no. we're on the road. Oh, no. They can't go to the whatever weird shady energy company is in that arena. My God. It's a tough place to play in, I tell you. Oh, wow. This is sad. What I'm about not... your game of the week? Leave me alone. I know it's kind of a down week, but that was depressing. So, okay, I'm going to confess something. I used to love the Army-Navy games. My father was in the military. I'm from a military family, and I've always kind of felt like that extra little oomph. For reasons I can't remember why, I found them less compelling over the last, say, five years. And I I always remember, I was actually in Los Angeles for the first Army and Navy game right after Trump was elected. Mm. And if you remember, that was one of his first public appearances after he was elected. He went and showed up and was in the booth. Why did you decide to attend this uh, particular game? Today? Yeah. I just love the armed forces, love the folks. The spirit is so incredible. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily the best football, but it's very good. But boy, do they have spirit more than anybody. It's beautiful. I assume you're neutral. I'm totally neutral. (laughs) Totally neutral. And I remember watching it thinking like, oh, man, these next four years are going to be super (laughs) fucking long. And I just have never had the stomach to watch Army Navy since. But I love this game. Because it's always freezing. It's always super cold. <laughs> and they're all in their uniforms and they're all going nuts. It's really fun to watch sailors lose it. It's like Fleet Week. It's like Fleet Week in there. They're always like going nuts. It's really. It's a, now you have my attention. It's a, okay. it's, sorry. It's a little different than Fleet Week. Okay, but it's right, super, right. super, super fun. I always love it. And I have just not really had the stomach for it for the last few years. So I'm very excited to get back to the world of the Army Navy game and try to find it charming again. Mm hmm. And finally, LZ, we know that there are always teams, executive players, and officials messing up in sports. So let's dive into this week's screw-ups. LZ, what is your blunder of the week? Well, I guess you got to go with John Harbaugh deciding he's going to keep the Steelers around the playoff conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, who doesn't love a little bit more Big Ben if we can get it? But it's a blunder, right? Hands down, it's a blunder. But there is a part of me that admires... The gall, right? All blunders don't have to come from a place of stupidity. Some can come from a place of bravado. And I think that's what you kind of saw there. It's a rivalry game. This is what we're going to do to you. And it ended up, you know, blowing up in your face. That makes it all the better blunder. Blunders are better when they think it's going to go great. It's not as good when you tiptoe face first into the wall. You got to (laughs) sprint face first in the wall. Then it's a much better blunder. Okay, my blunder of the week. And I'm going to tee this up for you, LZ, because you've earned it. Ah, thank you, sir. It goes to the Minnesota Vikings, who became the first team to say, 
I lost to the Detroit Lions this week, yeah. which will earn you your blunder right there. Eat that purple people. I was actually so excited for Detroit. I couldn't believe how excited <laughs> so I was, was for I. them. And so uh, it was very, very good for them. But sorry, Minnesota, you're the ones that have to eat it. You are the ones with the blunder of the week. And that's our show for the week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Long Game is produced by Pierre... <laughs> Here we go, people. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienemy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienemy, Megan Burney, Raziel Guevara, and Marshall Eisen. Our engineer is Aaliyah Jackson. Music is by David Wilson. We'll be back next Wednesday for a breakdown of the biggest sports stories of the week. And maybe I'll say everyone's name right the first time. Maybe I'll say him next time. I can't even say Liche. It's Villa Liche. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And it's my own name. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.